So I think folks know me, John Moore. Um, been a member of St. John's for a long time. Been a member of Wynn for a long time. Um, I started out at Wynn because uh, Luis Leon said, oh, there's this interesting organization being formed in DC. I've experienced with their, some of their others, but you ought to check them out. And I said, well, I don't have a lot of time. That was in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I am still active. Uh, it's been a major part of my life. It's been a major part of St. John's life at various times, uh, but one of the typical things with an organization like WIN is sometimes there's ups and downs in engagement. Sometimes it depends on what, what the project is. For example, at one point we were really working hard on conditions in public housing up on Mount Pleasant. Well, that was an easy one for members of St. John's to go up and do. Um, I think that um, I'm just going to go back to um, their opening assembly we had, which was at Metropolitan AME Church in 1996, and we had 2,500 people there. Uh, 60 or 70 members of St. John's Church were there. But anyway, uh, it, and 1996 was a time of really uh, despair and disarray in the nation's capital. Uh, we, couldn't con we didn't control our own money. We had a comptroller that took care of it. Uh, D.C. was broke. Um, and at that first assembly, Reverend Joseph Daniels, a wind co-chair, preached of hope. He prophesied with Ezekiel that the rattling dry bones of D.C. would rise up again out of that valley of despair and take on flesh and life through wind. Um, I can say I'm here to witness that Wynn and D.C. have been living out that prophecy. The bones have been putting on flesh. Uh, and Wynn, over the years, has defied the critics and initial naysayers. Uh, we would not believe that we could pull together what we did and build a citywide, multiracial organization uh, able to bridge divisions and to bring hope and change. And in particular, we bring hope and change to people that have not had a voice. We go into public housing. We go into the uh, D.C. General uh, and talk to the people living there about the conditions and then bring them to speak to the politicians to tell them what those conditions are. The other thing is, and this is extremely open, and you'll hear a lot more um, from, my, from the, the actual leaders at Wynn, um, is you bring hope to people who have not been heard. Somebody is listening to what, what is, uh, is happening to them. And I think one of the, uh, the interesting things, we, uh, we, um, the, one of the first efforts way back in the 1990s is we managed to get DC to do uh, the first all-city post post uh, after school programs. We created a whole system of after school programs that made a huge difference for DC kids' life. And we did that by going out and signing up, I think we got about 30,000 signatures, and we presented them to the new mayor, and he agreed to do the funding for it. So it was you know, a very important part of uh, what we were doing. And um, uh, 
we have had many other successes over the years. I don't want to go through a lot of them, but some of them um, were, 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 were really interesting. One of the ones was we created something called the Baseball Fund, and that is we did a campaign that if they were going to give $300 million to uh, the baseball team to come to D.C., we thought that they ought to put similar amounts of money into the neighborhoods in D.C. And we created something that was a, we did the research for it and we talked to the comptroller of the D.C. about funding it uh, and it was basically a tax increment finance district around the baseball stadium which said all those buildings that are down there, all the wharf and everything, the, in, the in additional taxes from them could be used to fund a bond issue. And it was a $500 million bond issue, quite significant. Unfortunately, then we had the, we had the recession and they dropped it. So it doesn't exist anymore, but it, it really was signal. And at the same time, we did create other funds. One of the earlier ones we did was a series of funds that for public housing. Uh, particularly for the first part of public housing, that is the planning to be able to build housing, affordable housing, uh, before you have money that your plans are going to work. You've got grants. So that we, I think, and I think we figured out over the years from all the different things we've supported, about a billion dollars has gone into affordable housing since we first visited this back in the uh, around 2000 to begin. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to talk about uh, is that I just wanted to say what personally it has meant to me to be able to be involved. And one of the most important things is I've been able to go into parts of the city and meet with people that living up in Northeast coming to church at St. John's, I would not normally have had the pleasure of doing. And I've met some just fabulous people living, and it, it, it's, it's great to uh, get past what seems to be the barriers, you know, that, that seem to divide us. Can be religion, can be race, can be economical, can be where you live in the city. But one of the great things about Wynn is if you become involved, you have an opportunity to do those meetings. And I can tell you that the other great thing is um, that when, when it, well, pre-COVID, and it will be again after COVID, has great mass meetings with, the, with the, the mayor, with the city council members, in which we call upon them to answer certain political questions. And they're always a, a show, we have great music, We've got Baptist choirs, we've got all sorts of things, and it's a great show to be there together and to get the mayor to say, yes, I will build a thousand houses, yes, I will support the closing of D.C. General. So anyway, so I'm going to then lead to the two other people. This is Amy Bruno, she's the lead organizer, that's the chief person, and let me tell you the other thing is, I'm just a part-time I, I got trained to be on it, but these ladies are the ones that make things happen. And Cedra Siddiqui uh, also. Thanks, John. John is 
um, really modest. Um, you know, he's on the board of directors of our organization and has been a stalwart leader um, along with many others. Um, what we do in WIN is we build power with, not power over, right? Um, many of us, I mean, we've all experienced dominant power, witnessed it, witnessed it, especially in this era of history. Um, we are trying to build power with. So we bring together, weave together relationships of solidarity. Um, so that people can stand together and have their voices amplified and not ignored. Um, and he's modest, and if you are part of our win email, um, we just had an action um, at Benning Terrace Public Housing and a resident said, a man, after the action, a man named John walked up to me and said he appreciated my story, right? Um, and you know, we verified it was John, right? Um, so, you know, check out that email. There's pictures and videos of the impact. Um, what my role here is, is to tell a story of solidarity, just to give you a picture of how it operates in WIN. And second is to highlight as many times as possible what, what do people actually do, right? Like, so if you're a member of WIN, what do people do? So I'll try and be explicit about that. Work? Okay. Um, so I want to shout out that this team here at St. John's was a part of building 1,700 units of housing um, and moving people from the streets or shelter into permanent supportive housing. You were part of that first wave and it was part of teams in downtown DC having lament about the fact that people had died on their doorsteps and that they saw the same people in the ministry year after year after year, that they were providing emergency care. Um, you know, food, food, coffee, you know. Um, and this, there was a team here, along with others downtown, who did 300 relational meetings, which is the bread and butter of building the web of relationships and solidarity with people experiencing homelessness downtown. And that was a precursor, right? We couldn't deign to, like, speak for folks before we had conversations with people about how do they define success and do they want to be a part of it to the extent that their life will allow. We believe in informed consent, right? We don't speak for, we're in a, a relationship of consent. So it was a team here that led to that victory and a whole fundamental reshifting of how housing worked in that era. Um, how many here remember when Relisha Rudd was taken? All right. So a young, for those of you who may be new to DC, um, a young girl was stolen from the family homeless shelter um, at DC General campus. DC General was a hospital that was so run down that they had to shut it down as a medical facility. And that is where 300 families were housed um, as an emergency shelter. Right. And right next to the jail, the methadone clinic, and the STD center for the city. Um, Relisha was stolen. We still do not know whether she is alive. Um, and that is painful. And it was painful for people who had ministry in DC General with the families. And for our WIN team that tried to organize with the families. And when we showed up for the second meeting, the staff um, had lost the key to the room. And also there was a party that was thrown that same day. There's never a party at DC General. So I don't know what happened there. But it was painful and people came together. 
from all over the city, because it was on the, you know, if, if there's a moment where people are like, what can we do about poverty, racism, et cetera, in the city, what can we do? That was one of those flashpoints. People came together, it was a room about this size, pretty full, it's before COVID, so we were kind of packed in, and people said, we gotta do something, we gotta do something. The senior experienced leaders within WIN said, we can't say anything until we've talked to at least 100 families from the shelter. Because they know what to do, we don't. And, and so what did people do? There were teams that recruited people at the different churches to come together and figure out how to have these conversations. Now families were afraid. Um, this girl was stolen by a staff member. People did not feel protected. Right? So we had to figure it out. We had teams who figured it out. We went and met at the laundromat because we knew families were at the laundromat. We rode the bus with folks. We stood on the sidewalks. This was folks from different congregations. And then we put it all together after we had 100 families' voices and also a team of residents who, weren't, who were, um, um, right, had righteous indignation about what was happening and felt safe enough from the relationships that we put together to come together, right? We put together an agenda, right, of demands. Speaking of conflict, sometimes there's conflict, right? Sometimes the conflict visits you by a young, young person being stolen from your, where you and your family live. And sometimes the conflict, you have to invite the conflict in order to get the recognition um, and, this, and what people deserved. The list of demands included no moldy bread, <laughs> staff, no longer sexually harassing. Um, the guards were sexually, still, even after people, after Relisha was stolen. Um, and we heard over and over, I wanna make sure this never happens to anyone else again. Imagine that, you're in this moment of crisis, right? And you're saying, I don't want the next family to have to experience this place. I wanna fight for something better, right? And so the vision that families cast and it was through a lot of listening, wrestling. There was a team researching best practices from other places, you know, bringing that into the conversation. People said they wanted smaller shelters throughout the city in every ward of the city. Um, and they didn't want anything where there were 300 families during the worst period of their life all stuck together, right? Um, so that was the vision that people cast, along with they imagined, looked around and said, man, this is 67 acres. Why don't we build housing here rather than an emergency shelter? That was the vision. Short term, no moldy bread, you know, get staff that treats people well, short term housing, and then fix the whole campus, okay? Um, so there were teams that um, at back who weren't, didn't have the capacity and weren't willing to stand and sweat on the sidewalk to meet with families, right? But there were teams back at, at the congregations who were updated and spreading the word within the congregation, right? Building a team at, their, at the various congregations who were ready to show up and sign a petition, show up to the hearing with the council, um, et cetera, when we, needed to, when we needed to show numbers. Um, one moment that was incredibly moving is, you know, we won the short-term wins. It took a long time to get good bread, right? It meant that we had to show up with 50 people, sometimes 100, sometimes um, meet with council members, and there were teams doing that. 
throughout the city. Um, we had a thousand-person action um, at um, at uh, St. Augustine Church um, the first week Mayor Bowser was inaugurated. You know, it was like the her first major event where she committed to acting um, and building short-term shelters, housing in every ward of the district. She committed, we all clapped, so think about what the teams at the congregations did, right? They, they said, you gotta be there on this date, January, whatever. We need to fill those pews so that she will act because just one person saying something doesn't mean anything, it doesn't, but a whole assembly together. And now we do this online too, right? We have the thousand people on the arrays of the screen you know, showing up too. But we still, so there were teams at St. John's, teams in other places who took quotas and said, show up at this time. They reminded every ministry within the church, you know, got people to sign up so that they could come there and show power, power with, and to confront the dominant power that families had been facing. So one more vignette on this and then I'll move on, and then I'll give it to Sidra. Um, when the locations for the short-term housing were announced. Can you imagine what happened? Do you think that it was unanimous joy that there was going to be short-term family housing in every in backyards all over the city? Right. Okay. And just for those of you who are watching the video, there's I think some sarcastic laughter, um, maybe rolling throughout. Right. So so you know some people were very supportive. And then there was a lot of opposition, right? And so what did our WIN teams do? They did an analysis of where do we have members who live right nearby these locations? And, and they briefed them on the plan, the idea. Uh, we had teams assuage fear, you know, showed them the architectural models, showed them the service plan, and we created ambassadors for the project right on the ground in the neighborhoods. And then whenever there was a neighborhood meeting about it, we had to turn out twice the number of people in support as opposition, right? The other thing we did is we had people designated to be the person who, who's from the neighborhood who grabs the microphone and then hands it to a formerly homeless member or, or somebody who's a resident of DC General. So that was a, People love having that story on their resume of being the person who got up to the mic at the Ward 3 Forum, right? And then uh, when someone tried to take it away, kind of elbow them out and hand it to the resident um, for DC General, right? Because people would start to say things that, in, that hinted at stereotypes, right? We don't want these kind of people here. What about the crime? You know, these stories would start happening and that was the moment that we would grab the mic, um, neighbors would grab the mic and hand it to a resident. And you know, one resident I would, you know, that I witnessed stood up and said, hi, I think you might be talking about me. I'm a resident at DC General. Let me introduce myself. Let me tell you about the journey of cancer that um, led to my family being in poverty. Let me tell you the vision I have for my child. Right? But it wasn't without power with, and these teams mobilizing, analyzing where, where there were neighbors, figuring that out, 
turning one another out. Sometimes people come to those meetings, they don't really know why they're coming. They just know that they like John. And you know, and if John, you know, and, and if John says that this is about justice, I'm gonna come because I trust John, right? So you want a network of people who are trusted in the congregation that you're not gonna be wasting your time when you show up to this thing, right? So we won that battle and um, there are now short-term family housing in all of the wards. Um, and, you know, the worst fears that people had about crime or whatever, we knew that it wasn't going to come true. There was nothing to be afraid of, but that, that is the case. And um, now we're working on, on the D.C. general campus at 67 acres. Right? We just um, had a victory because people showed up on Zoom. People showed up in person and social distance to demand that the developers include deeper levels of affordability. And even the Washington Business Journal, it's a nice credential when you, you're not just bragging on yourself, but like someone else credentials it, says that it was because of us that there's a radically increased um, better mix of affordability in this phase. There's a potential of a thousand deeply affordable units, a thousand middle-class units, and a thousand market units, so that we can have a mix of income there. Um, but that was because teams showed up on the Zoom at the appointed time, um, called a council member at an appointed time. And our next vision is we want RFK campus to be dedicated to housing, right? There, there's parking lots sitting there in this, house, in this housing market, and we want it to be potentially home ownership units um, for, um, so that especially black families can build equity. Um, so that the educators, security guards, um, daycare, people who work in the, uh, in the after school programs um, that Wynn was instrumental in getting created. You, know, you can imagine, the people who grew up here, who served the city, should be able to afford to own. And that's gonna take an act of Congress, that's gonna take even more power, um, but we think it's possible. Right about now, you're probably thinking, okay, this is all sounding great, how do I get involved? Or at least I hope that's what you're thinking. And um, before I started planning what I was gonna say today, um, I was talking with a um, resident at Potomac Gardens, Mr. Murphy. And Potomac Gardens is a DC public housing um, building for seniors um, that is on Capitol Hill. So it's a really great location and people are really proud of the fact that they have access to transportation and um, things that in a lot of public housing you don't typically have. Um, but the building is falling apart. It's uh, really run down. There's lots of mold, there's cockroaches, and it, the building needs to be redeveloped. So I was sitting and I was talking with Mr. Murphy and I was telling him that on Sunday I was gonna be talking to a group of people who might be potential allies and may wanna build a team. Um, and I said to him, what, what kind of things would you want from those people? What would you want them to do to act with you? Um, and he said that he wants people who are doing the exact same thing he is. He's going back and he's building his team at Potomac Gardens. He's going and door knocking and talking to residents and 
um, listening and having conversations with them. He said that he wants people who are going to be able to stand alongside him and aren't going to be fearful of standing beside him. So I was like, Mr. Murphy, what do you mean? Say more about that. And he said he wants both people who are just going to trust and believe in what he's saying as a resident of Potomac Gardens, that they're going to take his word that people are living in poor conditions and that they're going to stand not in front of him trying to um, amplify his voice for him, but not stand behind him, still bringing their own power to the situation, but stand alongside um, in this fight for justice. And uh, he is doing great work at Potomac Gardens by having what we call relational meetings, um, which is basically having a conversation and getting at what that person who you're talking to, what their self-interest is, what drives them, what makes them want to act. Is it um, something from their history growing up that calls them to act for justice? Is it their faith? Is it a culmination of all of these things? Um, he's having those conversations and then building his team of people to act and to go to Brenda Donald. Um, as Amy and John mentioned, we had an action at Benning Terrace, another public housing unit. And uh, over um, 200 people came both jointly from um, in-person and residents and churches and also on Zoom um, joining in. And he wants to be able to gather those people at his own um, public housing unit and call for things like um, resident library development. The lack of, like, calling for a building not to have mold shouldn't be a radical act. Um, but we're in this place where for him, Having uh, um, him saying that to the director of housing isn't going to make it change. He needs people standing behind him ready to act with him. And he needs people from his own team. And he also needs folks from St. John's and from St. Augustine's and from uh, Masjid Muhammad and all the congregations and faith institutions that we work with. So. Um, I say all of this to lead into some of the things that we're planning to have um, coming up. Concrete trainings. I know folks have been curious about um, how they can act, how they can begin to act alongside and not for. Um, and uh, one thing that is concrete, you can come out to um, the end of the month, um, November 30th, we're going to be having a training on how to do relational meetings and how to build your core team because we know that we want a team at St. John's that's going to be able to work on um, things for many years, not just coming up and showing up to um, one solitary thing, but maintaining a campaign across years. And um, I know that that's really important to you guys, and it's also really important to us. So um, at that training, we'll hopefully get um, a good number of people, and we'll begin to build the steps towards getting a team that can stand behind folks like Mr. Murphy. Um, and. Uh, when we call ourselves a broad-based organization, and that's because we tackle power. We tackle issues of power, like Amy was saying. Um, people who we work with a lot of times have experienced dominant power, and I'm sure many of you um, 
dominant power that doesn't feel great to deal with. Um, so when we say we build power and that we're a power-based institution, the power we're talking about is relational power, power for, power with. Um, and uh, relational power, um, uh, it, it builds people up. We talk about um, in organizing, so you may have heard this if you've been at some win actions previously. We say power is like a hammer. It can either be used to hit someone or it can be used to build something beautiful. Um, so I, uh, I call upon you guys to begin building something beautiful with us, building relational power. Um, and uh, we uh, hope to do that um, starting on the 30th um, at that relational training, but also um, onwards. And uh, relational power, um, I, I think uh, I've seen uh, how it's uh, been used um, just at Potomac Gardens in this short period of time that we've been working there. Um, before uh, I began meeting with Mr. Mur Murphy, um, residents were having a really hard time getting their maintenance requests in or even just like having meetings at the building that folks could join in. I mean, it's on, uh, it's a senior building, so imagine uh, the pandemic trying to get folks on government calls that were always, like DC calls that were always on WebEx and super hard to join, and people would be sent a link, but people don't really know how to use their emails, let alone click and join in. So people were feeling invisible, and like they were shouting and shouting and nobody was hearing. Um, and uh, this um, August, we went in and we had a resident council meeting with them in person. And um, uh, we talked to Mr. Murphy, that's where I met him. And um, we sat down and we made a plan and we said, okay, um, uh, let's, uh, let's see how we can reconnect in the building. And we began just with door knocking and having conversations one-on-one -on -one with residents in the building. And at that next meeting that we had, the amount of people who were in that room had doubled. Um, so community members were already beginning to feel um, more included and more heard. And uh, then once we had an organized mass of people, um, that's when we were able to get Brenda Donald to come in and have a meeting, the director of housing. Um, and listen to resident concerns and have Mr. Murphy speaking directly with her. So um, uh, I think that showed me and uh, um, gave me more hope in the power of relationship and the power that organized relationships have. Um, so uh, I wanna leave some time for questions from you guys, but before I do, um, I want to share a little bit more information about a event we have coming up this Tuesday that I would love to have um, people join in on. It's a virtual teach-in around black equity and black wealth through home ownership and how we can um, achieve that through green policy. So, um, like I said, we're a power-based organization, so while we've talked about housing a lot today, it, that means that we work on a number of issues. Um, 
And one of those issues, as we've been listening uh, over the past few um, years, is uh, climate. People are becoming more and more concerned with climate and also more and more concerned of how we can meet DC's climate goals in an equitable way so we're not burdening low-income families um, while we transition. So on Tuesday, we're going to be having a training on uh, how we can uh, um, get to black um, equity through home ownership, how we can create opportunities to preserve and maintain homes while also meeting DC's climate goals. And um, some things that I learned through this campaign um, are that like really made me angry, quite frankly, uh, is like black homes in DC, even if it's the same same neighborhood, same like number of rooms, it's often um, valued as less than um, white homes. And like nationally, black families pay 13% more in property taxes um, than white families in similar homes. And those, Statistics are the result of many, many, many years of uh, racist policies through redlining, through banks not um, allowing black families to access loans to buy homes, a whole host of things. And in order to begin combating that, um, we need people who are organized. We need um, to speak with and have listening sessions with people who are trying to access home ownership for the first time, um, who are teaching, working in the district, who can't afford to live here. Um, so that's one hope we have with this campaign. And uh, there'll be a teach-in, as I said, about it on Tuesday, so we can begin to um, build the steps to, to furthering those goals. Um, yeah, and now um, I'll, I'll open the floor to you guys. I'd love to hear some questions. Um, first, congratulations on the great work that you do with your career struggle for social justice and housing, which is clearly of the interest of, of St. John's. Uh, my, my sort of question is that you're, you seem to be focused on public housing and public accommodations. Why is it that in one of the most progressive city administrations in the entire East Coast, are you having to struggle to have public accommodations humanely, humanely maintained? Well, it's not like it's you know real estate developers and gentrifiers. It's the city administration. Why is that? Why do you pick? I don't know. No, no, no room. I'm baffled by it, frankly, because there are so many people on the DC Council who are lifelong Washingtonians. I mean, they. They have a sense of ownership in the city. They've been in neighborhoods where people are experiencing bad housing. I, I, I don't understand it myself. I mean, working in developing countries, I would attribute it to corruption of some sort. That's, 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 that's what it smells like. What about in the back? What do you all think? It's hard. John, what do you think? Well, one of the what one of the things, uh, and it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, one of the okay. The question was, why is it that affordable housing, uh, particularly public housing, and and just conditions in housing are so bad in the district, given 
it's a fairly progressive place, and it's clear to any of the council members that they can look around to their neighborhood and why is the housing so bad. And one reason is, I mean, having been in the middle of it for a long, long time, is that the money or, or political power, developers have one of the large, they give the largest amount of money to the city council uh, campaigns. And that's why you have to have these other voices. So uh, a good example is when they redeveloped down near the wharf, that whole area. Uh, there was supposed to be 30% of the units were supposed to be affordable. What they did is they built all the place where they made huge amounts of money and then got the city council to reduce that number from 30 to 10. So, I mean, it, and I can give a lot of other examples. So that's why the, uh, you know, pushing for it and getting the commitments. And the mayor has done some fairly good commitments, but again, you're, it really is following up and helping those who don't uh, have a voice. So one other example is one time we got districts, precincts in D.C. that didn't vote a lot. We went and did a campaign, and they increased their registration and voting, and that alone got some of the council members to pay attention to what their needs were. So that's... Yeah, and having worked on, I worked on the campaign to increase funding for Metro, I think that there's a similar situation with public housing. Much of the infrastructure was built um, many years ago, and there wasn't enough money put aside um, to, to fix it. And it's a and it's a battle. Um, and now you know, Wynn and our sister organizations, along with the union, were able to and business leaders were able to um, increase the funding. You know, I said, you know, with that campaign, I would say, you know, it was born in 1976. So was I. I know that you know if you don't take care of your maintenance over time, like things start breaking down, right? So I think that that is really part of it when it comes to the public housing stock. Um, and there's also, you know, when there is, certain people are disregarded. So like with Coach Petey, you'll see, if you see our email, he, he is a coach in, um, in Benning Terrace who has um, coached and saved generations of lives in Benning Terrace. And remember, Benning Terrace is where the most shell casings are found um, since 2008. Um, and he's been trying to get the lights turned on on the football field for a very long time. And why is it then when Coach Petey calls to try and get it done, he can't move it? I mean, we can all have our own theories. I think people aren't listening to him. It, it took us to bring 200 people together um, to get the cherry picker there at the right time um, to, to make it happen. Um, and that's, I, I find that it's, um, especially as we train new organizers who are idealistic and, um, moved by, feel like the world should operate a certain way or should operate the right way. Um, and to have to struggle around those pieces, it's a, around power and whose voices are heard and what neighborhoods and zip codes and census tracts a lot of the time. Um, but we also organize around um, the whole gamut of housing. So housing on congregation land, we've, we've done that, we're doing that. Um, inserting ourselves into private, um, private development deals to increase the affordability. We've done that, we're gonna keep on doing that. 
and then working around public housing. One of, one of the other things Let's that also occurs is because Wynn is a citywide organization, has a lot of representatives of churches and, 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 and Ward 7 and 8, but we also have synagogues and churches in Ward 3. We've got church. So, but what happens is we have a citywide action where one part of the city isn't being pushed against the other part. So when we talk together, we're saying this is for all the city. And ours, remember, there was a great action. I think it was St. Columbus and Dick Street Baptist Church to get sidewalks put into their neighborhood. They were repairing the sidewalks up in Ward 3, and there were no sidewalks over in Dick Street. A good example of... And, and, and those, those two churches, the congregations, have continued and worked on things to get other things together that weren't win things, but it's the positive experience. And St. Columbus called for a moratorium on repairs in Ward 3 until the <laughs> church in, uh, on Dick Street got their sidewalks. And it worked. <laughs> Let's hear some other questions. Yeah. Thanks so much for organizing efforts. And for those people during this flex season, St. John's, St. John's a portion of our outreach budget goes to win, so we should all be thankful for what we're doing. So thanks so much for your efforts. My question, though, is what is Wynn doing in regard to low-income housing preventing a tight housing market, those prices getting bid up so that actually no one can afford them who's low-income? What's the, how do you, what's Wynn doing to make sure that there indeed is low-income housing for low-income houses or low-income families? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're pushing for that. Um, one uh, story I think that demonstrates that is at Temple Courts, which is on East Capitol and K. And um, uh, some folks were um, at our action team meeting this past month, which took place at the construction site of the new Temple Courts building. And um, I'll tell the story quickly so we, um, we can hear some more voices. But the, um, the, this building was uh, torn down 10 years ago with the promise that it would be rebuilt and that it would be rebuilt um, in a way that folks could still afford to live there. And uh, that was 10 years ago, five years went by, people who were displaced from that um, building were still waiting. Um, some of them passed away, some of them moved to Virginia or Maryland because they couldn't afford to live in DC. Um, a couple people become, became unhoused. And uh, um, when came in then and organized and organized former residents as well as the congregations both neighboring and across the district to call for temple courts to be rebuilt, but not just be rebuilt, but rebuilt in a way that allows people to continue living in Noma and afford to live there. So it was a third, a third, a third, a third um, really deeply affordable, a third uh, market rate, so like a teacher or a nurse could afford to live there, and then um, a third market rate. So one of the things is, uh, in what concrete things. So we have met with the mayor's uh, deputy, uh, Valquino is, I forget what his name is. We've met met with the, the mayor's primary, you know, I guess uh, legislative or whatever, Falcone, and and gotten through through him and also with the mayor, but also uh, testifying before uh, Anita Bonds housing committee on 
making sure money actually gets put into the housing. And one of the th big things is no more just tearing down the whole project and letting everyone go someplace. It's called housing first. That is, you make sure that there are housing uh, locations where those folks can go to. And just as an example, Wynn has a, uh, an affordable housing arm called Urban Matters Developments, which I've been very involved with. And when we did renovations of apartments up on 14th Street, no one had to leave the apartment. We kept the vacant apartments open so that people could move to different ones and not be displaced. But so it's, it's, it's actually going after the council members, going and you know, organizing the ANCs. Yeah, and some yeah. of them are, you have to prove your income for different levels. I, I, I don't know if that was implicit in the question. Um, and then the other thing is if people have ideas, right? So we're broad-based, multi-issue. You might have say, I don't, you know, housing's not my thing, education's my thing, right? So, or whatever, whatever it is, right? So we invite people to bring new ideas. Right. The price of a good idea is you have to build power with um, and organize a team around it, right? And make sure that the um, idea is grounded in lots of listening um, to people directly affected. And that's what we do. We help, you know, but if someone has an idea or a new angle on affordable housing, a new angle on an issue we're not working on, as long as it is something that the rest of the whole of the organization would say amen, and you are willing to help us build the capacity by building new power, new organized people, money around it, then we do, then we can take it on. That's a great place to stop. Yes, thank you. <laughs> okay, you stick around for yes. further questions of if course. you have them. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank for being you. Here.